I will keep fighting to bring peace to humans and robots. This is the Guileless Gamer Podcast. I'm Stefan, and this is part two of Mega Bluster, our very, very long interrogation of the Mega Man franchise. This time around, Mega Man 2, released in Japan as Rockman 2, Dr. Waiwi no Nazo, which translates as Rockman 2, The Mystery of Dr. Wily, in December 1988 for the Nintendo Family Computer, and in the United States in June 1989 for the Nintendo Entertainment System. Video game series that established themselves on the Nintendo Entertainment System are somewhat famous for following up their groundbreaking first entry with an unconventional, marginally less successful sequel. Zelda II The Adventure of Link, Castlevania II Simon's Quest, and even the American version of Super Mario Bros. 2 remain interesting games, but you would be hard-pressed to find someone who claimed that they were either as revolutionary or influential as either their predecessors or immediate sequels. The late 1980s were a time of exploration for game developers, when the concept of what a sequel to a successful game could and should be was not well defined either artistically or commercially. Today, we are so used to the idea of sequels as subtle iteration and expansion on existing ideas that we are shocked when a developer approaches the project with the goal of reinvention or recontextualization. Mega Man 2 bucks the trend established by its contemporaries by being just a refinement of and iteration upon the ideas laid down by the original Mega Man. With a staff consisting primarily of returning team members from the first game, including planner Akira Kitamura, designers Yasuaki Kishimoto, Keiji Inafune, and Naoya Tomita, programmers Nobuyuki Matsushia and Yoshihiro Sakaguchi, Mega Man 2 was something of a second chance for a team that didn't quite feel like it had gotten things right the first time around. In examining it, we can see how Mega Man 2 establishes the template for the modern video game sequel. Some more of the same, but bigger and better. And in following up its moderately unsuccessful predecessor, Mega Man 2 shows what developers could do with a greater understanding of their target hardware and their target audience. Famously, Capcom did not request the sequel, but tolerated its development on the condition that the team work on it during their off hours, while primarily focusing on other projects. According to Salvatore Panay's Invaluable Mega Man 3, available through Boss Fight Books, Capcom saw greater potential in Proyaku Satsujin Jiken, which can be translated as Professional Baseball Murder Case, a top-down RPG-influenced murder mystery with an unconventional gameplay structure. Quoting from Panay's book, you find yourself in a top-down view of contemporary Tokyo. Many credit Mother, the predecessor to the Super Nintendo's Earthbound, 
as the first RPG set in the present day. But professional baseball murder case beat it to market by seven months. Your goal is to slowly unravel the murder of Nobuyasu Harda by collecting clues all over Japan by foot, car, train, or ferry. Unfortunately, every step decreases your life points, and the overworld map is patrolled by bands of police. Encounter an officer, and you may be able to smooth talk your way out of a fight, but otherwise you're shuttled not to a JRPG-style battle where two groups stand sentry, politely waiting for the other to attack. Instead, you enter an Ikari Warriors-esque top-down shooter where you hurl baseballs at raging cops. It's a bizarre battle system for a game truly ahead of its time. Over the course of your adventure, Igawa will dress in drag, hang out in gay bars, pal around with ghosts, meet the actual president of Capcom, and unravel a plot involving sports corruption, counterfeit cash, and murder. The game is clearly a parody of Namco's Pro Yaku baseball games, a long-running and much-celebrated series in Japan. And professional baseball murder case even ends with a Pro Yaku-style minigame, where Igawa must compete for the pennant. That sounds spectacular. That's a like a dragon game right there, baby. Sign me up. But it will not shock you, listener, to learn that professional baseball murder case was not the hit that Capcom was looking for. Nevertheless, this is the game that Capcom saw potential in, and assigned Kitamura and Inafune to it as their full-time jobs, tolerating their work on Mega Man 2. Producer Tokuro Fujiwara of Ghosts and Goblins fame was assigned to Mega Man 2 seemingly over his own objections, and composer Takashi Tateshi took over primary music composition duties for Minami Matsumi. What followed was a stress-filled development period of about three months, as the team worked to build atop its previously laid foundations and make sure that this release would really count. How does that passion, that stress, that need to prove themselves show up in the team's work on Mega Man 2? Well, let's begin with presentation. By the standards of the Nintendo Entertainment System, the first Mega Man had been perfectly acceptable. Uh, Great, even. What story the game offered was presented with the manual included with the game pack. The game itself, though, gave little indication as to its overarching narrative, the relationship between Mega Man and his nemesis Dr. Wily, or even who the old bearded man and young lady waiting for the hero at the end of his journey could possibly be. Instead, it thrust players immediately into the game's action after a rather basic title screen, and didn't so much trust them to figure it out from there as it did implicitly communicate that the game's setting and story didn't really matter. By contrast, its sequel opens by setting some context. Simple words laid out over a futuristic cityscape set the stage for the adventure. In the year 2000X, a super robot named Mega Man was created. 
Dr. Light created Mega Man to stop the evil desires of Dr. Wily. However, after his defeat, Dr. Wily created eight of his own robots to counter Mega Man. As the text appears, a slow pan begins to carry us up to the top of a skyscraper, where we find our hero, Mega Man, keeping a solitary watch over the city, his hair blowing in the breeze. A heroic remix of Manami Matsume's ending theme from the first game plays. As we tap a button to begin our adventure, we see his helmet materialize on his head before he warps away to begin his battle. The entire sequence is brilliantly evocative, a masterclass in 8-bit video game storytelling that remains effective even three decades later. That focus on a polished, subtle, evocative presentation carries through the rest of the game and reflects the governing philosophy driving the team. Let's do Mega Man, but make it bigger, better, and more impressive. The now eight Robot Masters, including Metal Man, Air Man, Bubble Man, Quick Man, Crash Man, Flash Man, Heat Man, and Wood Man, may lack the coherent laboring robot theme that unified the first game's rogues gallery, but they make up for it with incredibly charming designs. Airman remains a personal favorite, if only for the audacity its designers had when replacing its mouth with an enormous bladed fan. That lack of coherence in theming may reflect the process by which these particular robot masters were designed. Uh, fans in Japan submitted their own concepts and designs to the team for consideration, and while no boss design was taken unchanged from a fan's submission, the mere act of accepting such contributions from the small but evidently passionate community that had sprung up around the first game represented a pretty brilliant act of marketing by Kitamura and team. If the first game had had trouble finding its audience, the second would cultivate it from the start. A subtle outer space theme does persist through the game, hinting at the ostensible secret of Dr. Wily and distinguishing it from its predecessor aesthetically. But in most ways, the two games play very similarly to one another. The platforming challenges presented to the player are arguably more difficult, but there's a greater range of tools available to navigate them. Over the course of the game, Dr. Light contacts Mega Man and grants him three new items, the creatively named Item 1, Item 2, and Item 3, that expand his range of motion. Two of these three items expand Mega Man's vertical movement capabilities, while one of them allows him to cross chasms by riding a jet. Still, these are purpose-built tools, not inherent capabilities of the character himself, and their impact on moment-to-moment -moment gameplay while meaningful, is limited. Enemy placement in Mega Man 2 is better than in its predecessor, and item drops are more generous as well. Challenges remain structured in a logical way, building atop one another in a manner that progressively tests the player's skill. Mega Man himself controls more precisely. He is responsive in a way that he wasn't in his first adventure. The soundtrack is more distinct and impactful, the standard enemies increasingly comical and visually interesting. Uh, another personal favorite, I love the fan fiend 
who you could best describe as fat, weaker, less cool airman. The vestigial scoring system from the first game is abandoned, leaving behind a clean UI that focuses the player on what they are doing, not on incrementing meaningless numbers. A password system, something that was missing from the first game, removes the need to play through Mega Man 2 in a single session, and the team's increased mastery of the NES hardware is demonstrated by a number of screen-filling bosses in the latter half of the game, built from a combination of background tiles and actual sprites. The technical sophistication of the game was enabled by a critical change that no gamer in the late 1980s was likely to notice and upgrading cartridge hardware. You see, Mega Man had been released on an NES UN ROM board that used a UX ROM mapper chip. Mega Man 2 upgraded that hardware by using an NES SX ROM board and an MMC1 chip. This was not an insignificant upgrade. And we don't really have a modern comparison for it because of the decline in the cartridge format, but in essence, the upgraded board actually acted as an expansion of the console itself while in the console. So a system running Mega Man 2 was actually more capable than a system running Mega Man, as long as the cartridge was plugged in. Think of it like a Sega 32X if the 32X was hardware inside the cartridge rather than an add-on for running new types of cards. In practice, Mega Man 2 had more hardware headroom to work with than its predecessor, and it used it. Still, all of that extra headroom would have been valueless if the team behind Mega Man 2 had not used it well. Just as Mega Man 2 begins with a context-setting introduction, so too does it end with a deep and surprisingly moving conclusion. With Dr. Wily, who is first revealed to be an alien and then revealed to just be a guy pretending to be an alien, that's the mystery of Dr. Wily. With Dr. Wily defeated and his fortress destroyed, Mega Man should be able to celebrate, as he had at the end of his first adventure. But rather than presenting the player with a scene of triumph, the game instead turns melancholy and introspective as Mega Man is shown slowly walking through a series of landscapes as seasons change and somber music plays. The game ends not with a celebratory reunion between the hero and his creator, Dr. Light, but instead with a shot of a pastoral village, a sad music cue, and a shot of Mega Man's helmet sitting alone on a grassy hill. As he summoned it to him at the start of the adventure, so too does he now leave it behind. But the tragic, unresolved music tells us that he will pick it up again, that his battle will go on, no matter what peace he may seek. Each of these improvements is small on its own, but they add up to make Mega Man 2 a substantially better game and one of the most impactful and important in the NES library. It's less a reinvention of Mega Man than the first proper release of it, an upgrade from the prototype that hit the market in 1987. The rough edges have been sanded off, the changes made are meaningful, and the result is a genuine classic. 
Capcom threw its weight behind the game when it reached US shores. Mega Man 2 was the first game ever featured on the cover of Electronic Gaming Monthly. In an issue that also previewed Rampage, Metal Gear, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Strider, and Capcom's soon-to-be mega-hit, DuckTales. Mega Man 2 was positioned to be a big deal, and it was. A substantial hit at the time of its release, Mega Man 2 was, until 2022, the highest-selling game in the Mega Man franchise. A feat all the more impressive, and in some sense reflective of the long-term trajectory of the series. When one considers that the market for video games as a whole was much smaller in the late 1980s than it would be in the years that followed. With an estimated 1.5 million units sold, Mega Man 2 is the 42nd best-selling game on the Nintendo Entertainment System. Which actually isn't nearly as high on that list as one might have expected. It wasn't even Capcom's best-selling game on the system. That would be DuckTales, released almost 10 months after Mega Man 2's Japanese release. Still, 1.5 million units is nothing to scoff at, especially in a time when the number of people buying games was significantly smaller than it is today, and when the game in question was produced by a small team working in its free time. And that really may be the legacy of Mega Man 2, at least as far as Capcom's concerned. Mega Man 2 established that there was money on the table when it came to games starring Capcom's new blue mascot. It also established that if the games could be produced quickly and inexpensively, the return on investment could make the series a reliable contributor to the company's bottom line, as long as they were produced quickly and inexpensively. Thank you for listening to part two of Mega Bluster, our very, very long interrogation of the Mega Man franchise. Music for this episode was sourced from ocremix.org in compliance with that site's content policy. You can find credits and links to the original pieces in the show notes. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate and review it on Apple Podcasts or the podcatcher of your choice. And if you didn't, I promise the next one will be better. If you have any feedback you'd like to provide, or if I missed something, you can reach out to clay at guilelessgamer.com. This and other social links are also in the show notes. How long will I keep fighting? How long will my pain last? Maybe only the X-Buster on my hand knows for sure.